Do you suffer from numbness, tingling, burning, or pain in your feet and legs? It could be caused by something as simple and common as a vitamin B1 deficiency. This is Dr. Ronald Hoffman with a solution for low B1, Zobria by Oshare Health. Zobria is a safe, effective, and clinically proven nutritional supplement containing a high-potency bioactive form of vitamin B1, which has been shown to reverse symptoms caused by low B1 with no side effects. Low B1 causes your nerve cells in your feet and legs to stop functioning properly. may also contribute to forgetfulness, loss of mental focus, fatigue, and loss of appetite. Restoring proper B1 levels has been shown to reverse these symptoms. You can get Zobria now with new lower pricing, risk-free, by going to Z-O-B-R-I-A dot com or by calling 1-855-ZOBRIA-8. That's Zobria.com or 1-855-962-7428. Get 20% off the new lower price with coupon code Hoffman at checkout plus free shipping. Zobria.com. Vitamin B1 perfected. Welcome to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and today we're going to focus on uh, coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol. Uh, we're really talking to one of the uh, originators in this field. Uh, he's Dr. Peter Langjan, uh, and Dr. Langjan's been practicing cardiology for 26 years uh, since he began in the 1980s, uh, but he is also a second-generation uh, coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol enthusiasts because uh, his father, Pear Langgen, uh, was uh, one of the people who brought uh, coenzyme Q10 uh, into prominence. It was first discovered oh, in the 1950s. A lot of the work of Dr. Carl Fokers uh, brought it into uh, prominence, uh, but it was uh, the Langgens, uh, Peter, who we're talking to, and his dad, uh, who popularized coenzyme Q10 and now ubiquinol uh, for treating cardiovascular problems. Uh, Dr. Langen uh, is in practice uh, in Tyler, Texas, uh, and he's worked exclusively as a non-invasive cardiologist specializing in congestive heart failure, for which coenzyme Q10 uh, can be very instrumental. Uh, he has done a lot of research on coenzyme Q10, published uh, numerous papers. Uh, he has been hither and thither and yon uh, speaking on the subject as an academic speaker, uh, fellow of the American College of Cardiology, uh, and uh, many, many accolades uh, that are too numerous to recount here. Uh, so uh, he has been a guest uh, on Intelligent Medicine. Actually, um, you may have been one of my uh, first guests when we dated you debuted the program in the 1980s and uh, early 1990s. So uh, periodically we check in with you and you always have something interesting uh, and new to contribute on this subject. So welcome back, Dr. Langen. Thanks for joining us today on Intelligent Medicine. Oh, it's my pleasure. It really is. Well, so first of all, you know, give us a little background. Uh, what was it that got you and your dad uh, interested in uh, uh, coenzyme Q10? Uh, must have been in the, in the 80s and 90s that it came to your attention right it's uh it's one of those things that seems coincidental probably wasn't but my uh my father paralanction was a staff cardiologist at scott and white in temple texas and he had a patient who had quite severe uh dilated cardiomyopathy who happened to 
meet uh, Professor Carl Folkers, who was at the University of Texas down in Austin. And it was through that patient that uh, Carl and my father became acquainted first by correspondence and then in person. And those two men got along great. And Carl was absolutely passionate about Q. And my father was absolutely passionate about medicine and particularly cardiology. And after that, you know, meeting and, and not just one meeting, but they began to know each other. That led to uh, my father was instantly fascinated with the whole concept of fundamentally improving the energy production in every cell of your body. And of course, heart muscle uses a huge amount of energy. So it was a logical thing to look at it in the failing heart. And then that led to the first, you know, placebo controlled double bind trials. Uh, those are published around 1984, 1985. And that was followed by long term studies where we wanted to see if, uh, if you took CoQ10 and you improved heart function, we wanted to be sure that was sustained because there are drugs, not terribly good, but there are drugs that stimulate the heart to contract harder and they improve your function for a little bit, but then everything falls apart. It's like, like whipping a tired horse. You can get it to run faster for a little bit, then it's going to drop over. And we wanted to be sure that didn't happen. So there was a six year long term follow up of a little over a hundred patients. That was the second study. And, and I will well remember uh, that era. And, uh, I actually remember a patient who, who taught me something about coenzyme Q10. Uh, some of the studies, and there had been some studies showing that, nah, it's, you know, not that beneficial. The studies are sometimes using doses like 50 milligrams or 100 milligrams of CoQ10. And I had a patient who had congestive heart failure. And, uh, she was huffing and puffing at the time. I had an office that, strangely enough, you had to climb stairs to get to my office. That was in the early days when I was practicing out of a brownstone. She had trouble getting up to my uh, office. I was always out of breath. And I said, take some coenzyme Q10. And she said, you know, I'm going to try and take a trip to uh, California uh, to visit my daughter. Uh, it's a long trip. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'll try the coenzyme Q10. So she came back. Long short, she came back. Uh, after the trip, and she said that that coenzyme Q10 was amazing. She said, I was able to, like, uh, traverse the busy airports, climb stairs. It made a huge difference for me. And I said, that 100 milligrams of CoQ10 really, really worked for you. And she said, oh, no, uh, I, I I was taking more than that. I said, really? I said, but I only told you to take 100 milligrams because then we thought, you know, maybe that was the right dose. We were just sort of feeling around in the dark. And she said, oh, I made a mistake. I, I took 600 milligrams of CoQ10. I misunderstood your instructions. And boy, what an insight that was, because it really, its effect in patients with heart failure is really dose-dependent. I think that's what some of your research showed. Oh, yeah, that, that's a great story. Yeah, you're, you're right. The early years, uh, you know, nobody knew what a true therapeutic, you know, blood level of Q was. We... Initially, we assumed this was like a real straightforward deficiency state that you could correct and adjust the supplemental Q according to blood levels. It turns out that's not the case. The key is tissue levels, and those two don't correlate all that well. And it took a while to figure out that you had to get blood levels really two or three times what's considered normal in the blood 
to get a really good effect in the muscle. And, you know, that's something that took many years of, you know, study before we figured that out. So, so you had to not just correct a deficiency and normalize levels, you had to get what are called supraphysiologic doses, sort of mega yeah, dosing exactly. on CoQ10 to get the benefits, to push the CoQ10 into the tissues where in the mitochondria where it does its job. Yeah, that's exactly right. So um, now you've done research, and, and this really keys into you know one of the reasons I invited you back on this program is um, about our standard of care for cardiovascular patients, patients with heart disease, uh, we're putting patients on statins, and statins are thought to be revolutionary in terms of preventing cardiovascular disease. So we want more and more people on statins. And actually, we are making a dent uh, in the rate of uh, heart attacks. I think, you know, heart attacks perhaps uh, are going down, but we are seeing a disturbing increase in the number of patients who are having congestive heart failure. So what the conventional medicine explanation of that is, oh, we're saving more lives, people aren't getting heart attacks, but, you know, uh, because they survived their heart attacks, there's more people with congestive heart failure. But you have a different theory about that. Well, yeah, there, I'm just hard to know where to start on that. The, uh, as you and your listeners undoubtedly know, the industry of medicine is way off the rails. Um, and in many aspects, it's it's clearly harmful, and the literature of medicine is ninety percent fraudulent. I mean, it's uh, it's nothing but advertisements. Uh, wow! So that's there's a pretty, just a pretty unequivocal statement from a you know a standard uh, you know well trained cardiologist who's uh, you know actually uh, been affiliated with the Texas Heart Center. Well, yeah, it, it's it's sad but true. I mean, it's. Uh, the uh, the drug industry has become a monster, uh, and and you know medical uh, education, you know continuing medical education practice guidelines, all of these things are just terribly skewed, and it has very little to do with health. It has everything to do with absolute enormous power and wealth, and this is global. It's not just in the United States. And statins are they represent an extraordinary story. Uh, it, actually, you could even broaden it. It, it. You could look at the entire, uh, I guess you could call it cholesterol mythology. You know, cholesterol has absolutely nothing to do with atherosclerosis, with one exception, and that is if you're fortunate enough to just genetically run a cholesterol, let's say in the 300s or 400s, you're going to have less atherosclerosis. You're going to live longer you're going to have less cancer, less dementia, less infections. And that thing has just been turned totally on its head. You know, cholesterol, they started vilifying, you know, eggs, butter, cholesterol back in the 50s. And the theory was a disaster from the get-go. Uh, you know, they started, uh, at that time, cholesterol levels were not routinely measured. So when they started measuring cholesterol levels on everybody coming into hospitals with heart attacks, in less than a year, it was crystal clear people with heart attacks had lower cholesterol levels than people of the same age and habits who didn't. And that's when you came, they came up with this clever idea of, you know, moralizing lipids. And that's where you got this good cholesterol and bad cholesterol. It's completely insane. 
you know, they're different densities, they have different functions. Uh, so that's where you get this good, bad thing. And that doesn't hold water either. And then the, the latest is to subdivide, you know, lipoproteins even further. You have three different subdivisions of HDL, I think five of LDL. And then they toss well, in so the called, so-called particle size by yeah, you know, right. The, the atherogenicity is determined by if you have a small, de- uh, yeah. dense LDL, it's bad, and then you have the large, fluffy, benign LDL, and then you can differentiate. Yeah, it's it's completely insane. You know, it's a but they have to do what they can to uh, you know to support. It's over a trillion dollars a year now, by the way, global sales with mm-hmm. statins, which. Mm-hmm. I don't think any drug in history, any category of drug in history, has, has ever even approached that. Yeah, this is almost like uh, the cost of Medicare for all. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. right. you know yeah. when you talk about these astronomical numbers, like, oh, that'll cost a trillion dollars. We can't afford that. Well, that's what we expend, uh, you know, worldwide on stats. But what, uh, you know, I think the implications of one of your papers or several, several of your uh, research efforts uh, is that, uh, statins, uh, while they lower cholesterol, and that may appear to benefit us, uh, that they wreak uh, havoc in, in other ways and may contribute to this rising tide of congestive heart failure. It, it absolutely does. I mean, <clears throat> there's no question. Uh, you know, if you have to give, you have to give this out-of-control industry some credit. If you think about it, they have created... Uh, a disease. It's iatrogenic disease called hypercholesterolemia. It's not a disease at all. And they have come up with an extremely lucrative therapy that lowers that number so everybody feels happy. But those drugs are unbelievably toxic. They're, they not only have, they poison every cell in your body, but they don't improve atherosclerosis. In fact, there's good evidence it worsens it. Right. There are some studies that suggest that, par- I mean, and this to me is, is just mind-blowing. Paradoxically, you know, you would think one of the markers for cardiovascular disease risk is coronary calcium. And what they've determined is paradoxically that people who are on statins uh, may have a faster progression towards coronary calcification. So that... uh you know, really is confusing. I mean, if, if, let's let's face it. And, you know, maybe you can explain this. Uh, there are studies that validate the benefits of statins, especially in patients not for primary prevention. You know, the average Joe with high cholesterol who's not had a heart attack, a healthy individual, but uh, people who've had heart attacks or stents that perhaps they are candidates for statin drugs because they, you know, will sort of keep them from harm. Yeah, that's actually not true. I used to think it might be. I was giving him the benefit of the doubt. But uh, if you and we have, if you carefully review that literature, and I think one of the papers we sent you uh, published last year was an enormous amount of work reviewing every single large statin trial. There's absolutely no mortality benefit, primary or secondary prevention. Uh, It's you know, oh, I, I want to tell you a real quick little vignette that you'll appreciate this. Sure. A wonderful, uh, r- relatively new patient of mine came from Dallas, uh, real healthy, vigorous guy. And he went to, to see a doctor, had his executive physical, and his they did a uh, coronary calcium uh, 
scan. And he had a number that was mildly elevated. It was like 150 or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they convinced him to take uh, uh, a statin. And he dutifully did for a year. He felt sort of lousy, not real bad. Anyway, had his scan redone. Well, lo and behold, it's like 400. Mm-hmm. Well, the doctor gets all hyped up and says, well, we have to double the dose. So they right. doubled the dose. That, that, yeah, that's the natural impulse. It, so, yeah, it wasn't it, enough. They did it. Right. It wasn't enough. That's the problem. That's what it's getting worse. So the, <laughs> he does it. He, he took double the dose for another year, get his scan done the third time. Well, now it's way over 1,000. And so he came to see me as a new patient, and I just love this. He had the statin stimulate atherosclerosis paper uh, in his hand, highlighted all over the place. And he goes, this stuff is making me worse. (laughs) And he's absolutely right, it was. But uh, no, those darn drugs, they accelerate what they're supposed to prevent. And by what means do they possibly accelerate cardiovascular. I mean, we know that, that statins block coenzyme Q10. Okay. The suggestion is that, you know, everyone who's on a statin should take uh, ample amounts of coenzyme Q10. Um, so, the, you know, when we prescribe statins, that's what integrative doctors do. But you're saying that there are other mechanisms by which they undermine cardiovascular health? Yes, there are. The, the theory is that in the case of the coronary artery calcification, it's because statins uh, inhibit your ability to convert vitamin K1, which is in anything green, there's a ton of it in your diet, uh, into K2. And K2 doesn't have, have anything to do with blood clotting like K1 does, but K2 has everything to do with keeping calcium in bones and out of arteries. And there was a really nice, big population study out of Denmark where they looked at a huge number of patients, so not patients, just people, uh, and they divided them into thirds. Those with the highest uh, vitamin K2 blood levels, the upper third, and then the middle, and then the lower. And they followed these, it's like 20,000 patients or more, big numbers, followed them for like 10 years. And the people in the lowest third of vitamin K2 levels had way more highly significant you know, atherosclerotic events than the people with naturally higher. It wasn't a supplement study. It was just an observation. But it was a good uh, fair amount of information in that one big study. So I was a little disappointed, though, because uh, I I looked at the results of an intervention study uh, using vitamin K2 in patients with uh, cardiovascular risk, uh, and they followed them. And they actually, and you know, I was surprised to see this. Uh, this is in the latest edition, I think, October 2019, American Journal of Clinical Nutrition. I'm, I'm trying to look it up as we speak. Um, and I was actually surprised to see that the results were not, you know, sort of met, you know, in terms of the protective effects of vitamin K2. Is it possible that all the people in that study were on statins and that might have Undermine the, here it is. The benefits of menaquinone 7 supplementation on vascular calcification in patients with diabetes. It's a randomized control, double blind placebo controlled trial. And the abstract, and I'm trying to pull it up here, is they said, yeah, the results, uh, they weren't so great. There, there was, yeah, not significant. But I'm, I'm, does it, yeah, does it say if they measured their levels? Uh, they say that MK7 supplementation significantly reduced 
the UCMGP compared with placebo. That's a um, unden- uh, that's the uh, matrix glyco glycoprotein. Right. Right. So it did reduce the matrix glycoprotein compared with placebo, but the net result was there was no uh, protective benefit in terms of um, uh, after the six-month intervention. Well, that's not a very long time. I mean, I could criticize the study on the basis of there was a short yeah. trial. But, sure. you know. But anyway, well, it, it, it throws a wrench a little bit into the, into the vitamin K story, and I just... Well, yeah, and it's a... It's a, it's a hypothesis but the 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 vitamin k2 you know you get that from cheeses uh, it's highest in gouda cheese for some reason and also meats which most americans uh disdain you know kind of weird taste but yeah right (laughs) i kind of like it but at any rate the uh yeah so i'd have to look i I wrote that down and I'll, i'll definitely look at the study um yeah i i uh you know, and I know nothing about uh, measuring uh, K2 or MK7 levels. Uh, I don't know how difficult that is. I'm pretty sure commercial labs don't do it. Yeah, I think it's it's more. It's not so much about measuring it directly. It's it's looking at the matrix glycoprotein response. But you know, look, I'm no, I'm not the wonkiest expert on the subject. Uh, Dr. Shergers, who's a big you know uh, proponent, was a co-author on the study. Um, so anyway. Uh, but so in your article, and I have it here in front of me, I think this is the one we we're talking about. Statins stimulate at- atherosclerosis and heart failure, pharmacological mechanisms. And, uh, that you co-wrote with, uh, Japanese, uh, co-authors, doctors, uh, Hamazaki, Okiyama, uh, <laughs> Ama, Kobayashi, and so on. And, uh, you say, in contrast to the current belief that cholesterol reduction statins decreases atherosclerosis, we present a perspective that statins may be causative in coronary calcification and can function as mitochondrial toxins. So what's up with that? What's going on there? Well, the, uh, the, the mitochondrial toxicity of statins is the evidence for that's overwhelming. Uh, I mean, statins, they're just absolutely incredible toxins is what they are. You can kill almost anything with one. Uh, they, they definitely impair mitochondrial function. And worse than that, they definitely damage and uh, decrease mitochondrial DNA. You know, the mitochondria, which are primordial bacteria, have their own little circular DNA mm-hmm. that's not protected by histones. And it lives right in the middle of you know, the free radical generating factory, you know, the mitochondria are like little furnaces. And the whole theory of aging is hinged on this mitochondrial DNA damage. And, you know, mitochondria divide all the darn time, you know, even in cells that don't divide, like your neurons, the mitochondria do. And if they're, if the DNA is loused up, and then the baby mitochondria have abnormal mitochondrial they not only produce energy less well, they produce more free radicals. So it's one of the reasons why aging is not a linear decline with time. It's more like a cliff. You put along, you're doing pretty good. And then, at, you know what, just pick an age, let's say your 80s or something or 90s. You get this really rapid change. And I sort of view statins as accelerated aging. Hmm. Because of the poisoning of the meta- of the mitochondrial uh, yeah, machinery. Yeah, it does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. 
Okay. Uh, for our listeners know, we divide our podcast into two parts. And in part two, I want to get into some practical uh, suggestions because uh, several questions loom. First of all, you know, how much do you take of coenzyme Q10 or ubiquin all? Um, you've done some research on that. You've written some papers. Uh, also, the controversy still rages. Is ubiquinol really superior to coenzyme Q10? When do you need it? Can you get away with just, you know, if you want ordinary uh, anti-aging benefits, can you just take coenzyme Q10, which can be uh, more economical? Um, we'll get into some of those uh, practical questions uh, with today's guest. He's uh, one of the world's experts on coenzyme Q10, having worked with it uh, since uh, he and his father collaborated in the 1980s. Uh, and in the 1990s, researching uh, the clinical applications of coenzyme Q10 uh, with real-life patients uh, at uh, University of Texas Health Center uh, in Tyler, Texas, now in private practice in Tyler. That's Peter Langen, our guest. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.